Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Happy Tuesday, lovely people. Me and Ellie have been so excited about this one for such a long time. We've got Terry Patterson, the sober nutritionist with us, and uh, we're going to talk about all things sugar. And there's such a crazy story out there about this. It's a really difficult thing for so many of us to navigate. And the information out there is not very helpful a lot of the time. So having someone like Terry on and, you know, a functional nutritionist who knows exactly what she is on about is just just such a powerful conversation to tune into. So get your pen and paper ready. Um, Terry's so cool. Like she's a rock star she's entrepreneurial you know she's super into everything health she's a sober grandma um she's just launched a podcast called the sober edge which is super super cool um so i'll drop all these links below the below the show notes um so make sure that you go and uh, check these things out but you know you can tell how passionate terry is about this having health as a foundation and a building block to set people free from the limitations of alcohol and she is also with this naked mind coach so f- from whatever angle she's coming from she knows what she's talking about she absolutely takes this very seriously and you can tell um when she's talking just the joy and the passion that she brings to this um yeah awesome um she's going to introduce herself on the show so i won't say too much more but um you know tune in enjoy and uh see you there so we've got an absolute treat for you today and not just a treat for you but a treat for us as well because we have the sober nutritionist with us it's terry patterson hi terry hey terry hello (laughs) welcome thank you for welcoming me i'm excited to be here I'm super, super excited to have you here. So um, I got to know Terry originally in the uh, live alcohol experiment. So when I was a participant back nearly two years ago now, how crazy is that? Uh, Terry was one of the coaches. And as I've talked about on this podcast a number of times, it was a life changing experience for me. But and I don't know whether you'll remember this, Terry, but I remember probably about midway through and you were coaching someone in your live Q&A. And I, and I typed my little question in and I was asking you about, I had this, this feeling of self-sabotage creeping in mm-hmm. and, it, and it was you, you said to me, it was something along the lines of, it sounds like you're asking, is there more than this? And, it, and that set me on a path to uh, effectively going on to become a This Naked Mind coach. So the reason I'm sitting here doing it, and, and it's so weird how everything then comes full circle and having you here with us, is just so wonderful because that, that connection way back then allowed me to, you know, it just opened up that, that little thing that I needed to go and look at. And then that blossomed into becoming a coach. So a huge thank you to me. This is super, super exciting. This podcast so, is only happening because Terry was even oh, here. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sponsored by Terry. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could take all the credit, but you know, what happens on this journey is there is an unfolding. And I think that's one mm. of the most exciting pieces for me. And what gives me chills hearing you say that, Ellie, and share that story, because that is the beauty of life on the other side. Mm, mm, certainly is yeah, and, yeah. and just just how far-reaching it is because mm. you know Annie, Annie has talked to us about this hourglass effect and 
so and, and the ripple effect of the the people that that we are able to help in any kind of small way and then how they go on to help other people and inspire other people it's it's so wonderful so i'm super excited to have you here and this subject is well it's a biggie but it's a very um sought after subject and we couldn't think of anybody better to come and school us all and help us all with our we've got some sugar stories to tell you Terry later <laughs> on <laughs> so we're super super excited to to uh, to dive in so the, the first area that we were going to start with was really how close sugar is to alcohol uh, in terms of the response in the body and why we often end up so I ended up with a bit of a Toblerone addiction when I first went alcohol free that was my advice. It was it was Toblerone all the way, and and there's a reason for that. So we thought that that would be a good place uh, for us to start. Yeah. So it's really interesting because uh, there's a couple things that are really going on in the background when we find ourselves eating a lot of sugar or craving sugar as we move toward freedom from alcohol. And I want to break it down in a couple of ways if I can, because I think that. There, first of all, there's sort of this misconception that alcohol has a lot of sugar in it. And alcohol in itself, while it has calories, it doesn't really have a lot of sugar. So sometimes there's this misnomer that I'm replacing, you know, sugar for sugar. Mm -hmm. And you can find articles that will say that. But if you actually research, you know, how much sugar is in alcohol, it's very little. Now, there's certainly going to be some sugar, more sugar maybe in wine, but or if you're drinking a lot of, you know, sweet sugary drinks or drinks with fruit juices. However, I find that most, most people that are really trying to break up with alcohol are no longer drinking like a pina colada. They're not drinking seven pina coladas, <laughs> you know, they're drinking straight vodka. <laughs> and so that looks very different in terms of sugar replacing sugar. And then when we look at what's really happening here, we have the physiological response and we kind of have the emotional response. So when we think about what we know about alcohol is that alcohol causes our, when we're, you know, get this sudden onset of dopamine, this rush of extra dopamine, this chemical that makes us feel good. And they call it the wanting molecule. You know, it's got a couple of different titles because it does several things, but we get this extra rush of dopamine when we're drinking alcohol. And that creates a couple of effects. One is that we want more of that. The body says that feels good. I like that. Let's have more of that. Also, what happens is as we continue to use alcohol over time, we actually find that we produce less dopamine receptors. They sort of get like turned off. And so we need more alcohol to create that same pleasurable effect. Now here's where sugar comes in. When we eat excess sugar, we get that same dopamine response. Now, is it exactly the same amount? No, but we do see this same mechanism. And what happens with sugar, we want to understand that sugar is like, when I grew up, we had like one source of sugar. It was like Hawaiian cane sugar. That's like, I can I could sing the ad, right? Because that's all we had. But nowadays we have so many artificial sweeteners that we're seeing that our palate and our body is, we're getting something that's like up to 1200 times sweeter than natural sugar. So you can imagine the incredible dopamine rush that happens when we have this artificial sugar. And so same thing is happening. Our body says, Ooh, I want that. I want more of that. 
that mm-hmm. feels good. And then again, we are subject to, as we have more sugar, you know, we create this craving with, we now turn off those dopamine receptors and we need more sugar to get the same effect. So what we're doing in essence is, so if you think about it like this, when we're drinking alcohol and we stop drinking alcohol, then, you know, there's no more dopamine from alcohol. So then your body is sort of in this dopamine deficit. And then we can't stop eating all sugar, right? Sugar is naturally occurs in food. I mean, this is where it gets tricky compared to alcohol. There's so many similarities, but we can't just stop eating. <laughs> That's not the answer. So when we look at you know, sugar, we're going to, at some point in our alcohol-free journey, we're going to have something sweet and possibly, and probably with today's food supplies and the way food is marketed to us, something very sweet. So our body's going to say, our brain's going to say, oh, I like that. I remember that feeling, do more of that. And that's where we see more than a sugar in, sugar out type of thing. Like we're replacing sugar directly. That is the piece I think that's really important for people to understand that this is a physiological brain response and you're going to trigger it as you eat sugar. So much like we do with alcohol, while we can't avoid all sugar, we can't avoid, you know, those extra sugars, those really heightened sugars, the artificial sugars, you know, the candy, but it makes sense that we're reaching for candy in the beginning. And in my own journey, you know, I didn't, um, I was not a nutritionist when I became alcohol free. You talked to Ellie about going full circle. So for me, my circle looks like this. I was drinking and I was kind of a health nut, but I wasn't you know, doing all the things, then I had no idea that alcohol was part of my journey, you know, that it was interfering with me wanting to move toward true wellness. And so when I stopped drinking, I then went to school very quickly. I went back to school and became a nutritionist. So I started kind of figuring this out. And then I realized people needed support nutritionally in letting go of alcohol, that that was the missing piece. And that's when I found the work of Annie Grace. So I have come full circle as well in this journey. And so it's really interesting to look at where alcohol-free living and nutrition sort of align. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So then there's that whole other piece of the emotional piece of sugar. And we could talk about that, of course, as well. Can can I just ask something, Terry? So Mm -hmm. within this, this point about dopamine, because I heard, um, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about this response and they were saying about like, that we have, so we have these receptors in the gut and, and where we've heard about the vagus nerve, it's, it's mm-hmm. so the receptors understand that there's the, whatever type of sugar around, and then the signal goes up the vagus nerve up to the brain. And that's where the dopamine releases. The thing that I found fascinating was that they talked about like this complete decoupling of uh, the the sweetness of sugar and the actual taste, the perception of taste. So, the, and they referenced a um, it, it was some kind of study that was done where people were were fed. You had two groups of so people that um, were, were fed sweet items and people that were fed non sweet items, but they had their their mouths numbed. And they were mm. blindfolded, so that, so they couldn't perceive what it was that they were eating, but so not surprisingly, they craved the, the 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 sweet items, and that just I found that so fascinating because I think so often as a layperson, you know, the, the Toblerone looks pretty; it's in a nice packaging, it looks very <laughs> Moorish, and then you know you, you start. You, I think that there's kind of this. Um, 
you know, certainly like I, I would, oh, I really like the taste of it. And it's not that that's not necessarily the thing. It's the dopamine. Yeah. And here's the other thing to understand, too, that's happening there, Ellie, is that our bodies are designed to crave sugar because glucose is that quick source of energy for us. And so if you think back ancestrally, when we, you know, hunted on the plains and we had to suddenly, you know, run from something or, you know, flee from danger, that glucose was very important. So, you know, it's no accident that your body wants sugar. And so what we're looking at is sort of, you know, we're looking at it in a couple of different ways. Those mechanisms are, they are biologically for a reason. And so you're also trying to say, well, you know, gosh, you know, why do I feel like I want sugar? Well, your brain likes sugar. It gets to the brain very quickly. And it's that quick um, source of energy. So you think about like somebody that's going to do an athletic event, you'll often find them, they're eating a lot of carbs the night before, but that simple sugar in carbs is going to, in those simple carbs is going to break down to sugar and it's going to give them that quick source of energy. Now you want energy to last all throughout the day, you're going to look for fat and protein. Uh, and so that's where this balance also plays out is, you know, yeah, your, your body is going to crave some sugar all on its own, whether you're giving up alcohol or not. <laughs> and and Terry, interesting. So when we're drinking a diet drink that's sweet, mm-hmm. is that still, so there's an insulin response to that, right? What's what's happening in the body? Because I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, less calories, you know, less, less weight. But actually, as I understand it, a lot of studies show that people tend to eat more when they consume these because of the, what's happening in the body. And I, I don't understand enough about that, but I'm interested. Is there, what's that mechanism? Yeah, so I'm not sure if I can speak exactly to the mechanism, but part of what's happening is that, again, when we go back to our modern diet, Western diet, we see in the Ameri- in the United States, we call it the standard American diet, we call it the sad diet, right? Yeah, because it's, it's <laughs> lots of processed foods and lots of excess sugar in particular. And so part of what's happening is you're just hijacking your palate. Mm-hmm. Everything in our modern food supply is hyper palatable. It's hyper sweet, hyper sour, hyper salty, right? I used to work in a high school and you'd see kids walk in and eating the hot flaming Cheetos for breakfast. And like it barely made a dent, like they, it didn't even barely hit their taste buds. So part of what's happening is when we have that uh, palate that's geared towards sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And again, some um, artificial sweeteners can tastes 1200 times sweeter than actual sugar. And so we're getting that constant barrage of that doesn't taste sweet. Mm -hmm. People will eat something that's naturally sweet, like a piece of fruit, and it doesn't even register. But if they take processed and unnatural sugar out for a while, artificial sweeteners out for a while, then they can actually taste the natural sweetness of things. So some of that is just craving because it tastes good on the palate because it's super, super sweet. And then mm-hmm. it causes them to eat more. And then there's the whole chemical part of, you know, what's in this processed sugar and how your body doesn't even recognize it as food. So it makes it very problematic to break down. And so that's where we get into, you know, further compounding issues with potential, you know, down the line chronic diseases, just because our body's not digesting and absorbing food. I can, do you know, I had a really interesting experience a while back. I did some holistic lifestyle coach uh, training, um, with the Czech Academy, um, which is, I'm sure you know them. They're kind of, a, you know, they, they, 
do a lot of different stuff. Some people love their stuff and some people don't, but I found it very interesting. And I actually took all sugars and fruit and root vegetables out of my diet for a while for about three months. So that, you know, because I was trying to, I had issues with my gut and I was trying to do a real gut reset. I will never forget what it was like to eat a sweet potato after three months it quite literally was like eating treacle. It blew my mind. Even carrots, right? Eating a carrot was like, whoa, that's like eating a Mars bar. It was the most mad experience. Um, just how sweet these things are. We just and, and like, you're right, like just how much our sense of sweet just changes. Yeah, I take people on a um, elimination diet similar mm. to what you're talking about, where we do take out any of those high glycemic fruits and vegetables, in addition to all processed foods and excess sugar. And the goal is zero processed sugar, you know, um, added sugar for the duration. It's only three weeks. <laughs> it's a five week course, but they take a 21 day break and they start to say, oh my gosh, things are tasting so delicious. I had no idea I liked that. And, you know, it's like yeah. we have turned off our palate for yeah. a long time. And it's so wonderful to get there because once a banana or an apple or an orange becomes a treat again, it's just so wonderful because it's just like a complete resetting of like, you know, things that are supposed to be a treat. That's the whole point of them. Right. That's why they taste so bloody good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that, that very much mimics my experience that I've cut sugar out a couple of times. So not to the same extent as Sam, uh, but then at any point that you, attempt to go back into it it's just it's unpalatable like it's it's too much mm -hmm. and the thing that really surprised me was when you can kind of get over that hump of craving for it and your body must reset itself you like I stopped snacking I used to snack all through mm -hmm. the day and when I got over it like I, I just didn't snack anymore I couldn't believe it like like nothing I didn't need it so it's, it's so interesting, but I think it can be so hard. Like I, the first time I cut sugar out, I remember, oh God, it was, this, this is dire. I was traveling up to see family and we had to stop at a service station to get some food along the way. And so I chose something for all of the family and I was going through it. So Marks and Spencer over here, Terry's quite a, quite a, uh, um, it's, a it's, it's a bit fancy. And so you would <laughs> expect to get, you know, good quality produce and food in there. I went up and down every aisle trying to find something that I could eat. So I got a sandwich or something for, for my kids and my husband and there was nothing. And so everything had sugar in it. And even like I had a look at like packs of chicken breasts because at the time I was a meat eater and the chicken breast had sugar. I'm like, Why have you got sugar in chicken breast? I couldn't, I could not believe it. And then and, and the sorry end to this story is I ended up with a little pot with two sad looking boiled eggs and a couple of leaves of spinach in there. That's what I had for my lunch. And it was, I was so depressed, at like, I, but also shocked and quite um, horrified. It's in everything. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, you know, they add sugar because our palates are so hijacked that we don't register as it tasting good or having any flavor at all. And, you know, it's like salad dressings. I remember when I used to actually eat like prepared salad dressing and they're all sugar. And it's like, you can't even taste the salad. And so when you get away from that and you have, you know, reduced sugar to the point that you are actually have your natural palate more online. I mean, it's always, there's always going to be excess sugar, but it does make a huge difference. And yeah, but, but, you know, I, I don't know what's more powerful, the sugar lobby or the alcohol lobby, but they're both 
yeah. in it for the money. They're not in it for our health. We know this. Yeah, there was a talk of a sugar tax over here and it it didn't make it through, did it? I don't think. But um, this is this crazy thing about focusing on macronutrients as well. Is like when you when you when you remove the focus from whole food and real food and move to percentages of like fat and sugar and you know we kind of had this like low fat craze which the food had a lot more sugar in it we kind of end up with this kind of frankenstein food that's created in a lab put in a packet with only 350 calories on the side but it was never food so when we put it in our body it's havoc right our body doesn't know what to do with it versus now, a banana is sugar in there, sure, but it's strapped to the fiber, has a completely different response. So I, I think what what would you say? Like, that's really, that's a big thing that I find is that a lot of people, I don't think they really actually know the difference between like sugar, added sugar, what those things actually mean. Um, could you break that down a bit for people? Because I think that's really important. Yeah, so we recently, I'm not sure what's going on in the UK, but we recently um, re- established the way that we label sugar here in the United States. And so it's been a long time coming. And my understanding, someone told me recently, they think our last president exiting, he reversed that. So the label will go back, but let's hope not. But in 2019, they actually started labeling sugar differently. So it used to be that the sugar lobby was so you know, so big and powerful that they didn't even in the United States, if you read a label, it'll tell you the percentage of sodium for your daily requirement. And again, mm -hmm. that's that based on the sad diet. So I would take that with, you know, a little bit of caveat, but what they had was just the amount of sugar. It didn't tell you what the source of the sugar was, and it didn't tell you the percentage. So they had to add the percentage and then they had to actually add added sugar. So when you look at, say, a bottle of ketchup, it would be a good example of where they add sugar, a lot of sugar sometimes. And so you would have some natural sugar in tomatoes. So let's say you're looking at the tablespoon or two tablespoons of ketchup might be a serving size. It might be 18 grams of sugar, a lot, right? Mm -hmm. You've got maybe four grams of natural sugar and then 14 grams of added sugar. So that's something to pay attention to. When it's natural sugar, then yes, you know, you would expect tomato to have some sweetness to it, but it's that added sugar that you really want to pay attention to. And the other thing that happens here, at least in the United States, and I'm sure in most of the Western world is that the way the sugar lobby works, uh, at least here is where you have you only have to put the ingredients based on the percentage. So it used to be when I was a kid, there was like one source of sugar. So if sugar was like in the top three ingredients, you just avoided that thing. But now they have over a hundred different names for artificial sugar. Sure. And so you can have seven, eight mm. different types of sugar in one product. So you might have to go down to the 12th ingredient to find the first source of sugar. But if you keep reading the label, you're going to see not only does it have rice syrup and, you know, um, agave and then date paste and then mm -hmm. you know all of these other sources and so that's where we want to really pay attention is how much sugar is really in something and then oftentimes people forget to think about the serving size so here's an example you have gatorade over there yeah yeah we have it out yeah. it's not as popular as, as it is for, for you guys but yeah we we get it so a typical Gatorade is, you know, I, I wish I could think of how many ounces, but they're large, right? And they're two and a half servings, but you'll see the average American child standing on the sidelines of a soccer match with one of those mm -hmm. and they drink the whole thing. And it's 48 grams of sugar. It's crazy. 
Yeah. If you and pull so, that out. Yeah. And so if you think about it, you know, first of all, let's look at serving sizes. If you're looking a good rule of thumb is to try to keep below five, five grams or less of sugar per serving. Mm -hmm. So even if you um, look at like a protein bar, those got so popular, right? And they're like a health food, but many of them, the amount of sugar in them, you might as well eat a cookie. I mean, there's no difference when, when it comes to sugar. Mm -hmm. um, Cliff bars are really popular over here and they'll have 25, 30 grams of sugar. And, and Ellie, for you, do you know how much sugar you should be eating a day? How many grams of sugar you should be eating a day? I've got no idea. 25 grams or less. So you can eat one cliff bar, which is not going to fill you up for the entire day. And that's it. No more sugar, <laughs> natural or otherwise. And for men, it's 36. And I, I don't, if you guys are on a different system of grams, doesn't make sense. You could compute no, that later. I don't know how to do the computation, the but it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty incredible that, um, you know, that's the world health organization guidelines of how much sugar we should be ingesting. So it's, you know, things like this that can help us be more informed when we're reading those labels. And as Sam mentioned with your banana example, when we eat whole foods, we don't have to read a label. We know our body is going to recognize it as food. We know our body is going to also get fiber with that piece of fruit. Mm. It's one of the reasons where fruit juices becomes, you know, such a sugar bomb, because if you think about this example, you can have somebody, you can give somebody a glass of orange juice. They might drink two or three glasses of orange juice before they feel satisfied, but they're not going to eat four or five oranges. They're probably going to eat one by the time they peel it and they eat the orange and they ingest the fiber. You've had much less sugar hitting your system. Plus you've had those other factors. That's one thing we have happening here that I've noticed. I went really deep on this and I started to buy a lot of things that were like no added sugar, right? But actually there's a lot of food out there that is say, for example, sweetened with grape juice or orange juice, where ultimately because it's natural sugar that's been stripped of its fiber, it's still like having a massive whack of sugar. So for example, I said there was a bar of, do you know, is it halva, the Greek kind of like sesame seed paste? Have you tried that before? Basically, it's like normally between 40 and 50% sugar. And there was a no added sugar healthy option in the shop the other day. It was 45% effectively like concentrated grape juice, um, which really is no different, but they can label it as no added sugar. But I would imagine that when that hits your bloodstream, it's, you know, you're getting that spike like you would be if you were eating it pretty much with any sugar, right? So it's really important to educate, educate ourselves on this stuff because they're crafty. They really are. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like, it's similar to the alcohol industry, yeah. right? So one of the things that you bring up, Sam, is that idea of people ask me all the time, well, what if it's natural sugar? Mm -hmm. And the thing is you have a system in your body to regulate blood sugar, right? Your blood sugar regulation system. And that is that the body prioritized regulating blood sugar over almost any other function in the, the body, right? And so it, because if you bottom out, you can go into a diabetic coma, for example, right? It can be very dangerous. So regulating blood sugar is super important. And so people will say, well, um, you know, like what if I'm eating honey or what if I'm eating molasses? Uh, mm -hmm. And here's the thing, your body has to regulate that sugar in your system, whether it's, you know, organic honey from the, you know, the little grandpa down the road or whether it's high fructose corn syrup, your body still has to do the same mechanism. And when we have excess sugar, this is where it's interesting when it comes to alcohol, when we have excess sugar in our, 
bloodstream, we are putting a lot of extra burden on our liver. And we know that when people are making this change around alcohol, we really want to support the liver. So it's one of the things that we can really do to help get back to you know, homeostasis, help the body get back into that natural balance and support the liver naturally. It's just think about the excess sugar and the processed foods and think about giving the liver a break. And so thinking about this place that we find ourselves in where we, people are in the alcohol experiment or they're sober curious and they're wanting to remove alcohol, even just to see what happens. And they find themselves like me reaching for large bars of Toblerone. What, what would you say to those people, Terry? What would your advice be? Yeah. So I think we were talking about this in the very beginning. So that, you know, I think having some awareness around that this is happening because it's supposed to happen this way, right? Your body is doing what it naturally does. It wants to replace that dopamine. The receptors are off at this point. It's getting back into balance and it's found something that feels really good and pleasurable and your brain wants more. And so I think first of all, just helping them normalize that and making sure that it's not a place where they feel like, oh, I must have an addictive personality or I can't do this. It's too hard. Or look at me, I'm just you know, I have no discipline and, and they can get caught up in that kind of judgment for self. And so I think normalizing it is a great place to start. But then in addition to that piece, we really want to look at that emotional piece of what's happening, just like with alcohol. So mm-hmm. if we're drinking as many of us, you know, used to drink and most people are, we, you know, by the time we're really noticing an effect of alcohol and starting to question our relationship, we're drinking for a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with just, you know, having a, a, a one-off fun cocktail, right? We're drinking for those things. We're tired, lonely, stressed, bored, all of those things. We're looking for a distraction, you know, um, we're buffering something. We're drinking due to unmet needs. Mm-hmm. We can absolutely take that emotional piece and transfer it right to food. And I work with people in my nutrition part of my practice that that, you know, they're, it's not about alcohol. They, they have not had an issue with alcohol, but they're using food when they're bored, stressed, lonely. And so I think it's really awesome that we have these tools that we learn, particularly from, you know, the methodology of this naked mind that take us right into that same place. We can absolutely use those same key tools of awareness and curiosity and start there, start to say, I'm finding myself in the kitchen, opening the fridge. Wait a minute, take a step back. Am I hungry? When did I last eat? Let's have a glass of water first. Maybe I'm just thirsty. Oh, now my brain's back online. My, you know, cognitive function is better with a glass of wine because I, or water because I was dehydrated and we say, oh, I'm not hungry. And so, you know, we have to just take a step back and allow ourselves to ask that question. What do I really need? Mm-hmm. And that's so key. And, you know, again, just like we learn with this naked mind, we can implement the pause around sugar, just like we did around alcohol. We can start figuring out these things like, why am I reaching for processed food? What does processed food look like? How much am I cooking? What, what would be healthier for me? What if I made some changes here before they start trying to go, you know, I'm going to, um, you know, jump over here and do this really extreme diet. I must, I, I have to lose 25 pounds. I need to be on a keto diet. Well, first of all, (laughs) let's ask some questions. Let's get some knowledge first. And then let's 
do the very beautiful thing we do with this naked mind methodology is let's take that knowledge and turn it into the emotion. What is the emotion they're looking for with this change? And so I think that's a beautiful place we can really take them to where they're familiar with this concept of the pause and, you know, knowledge first, and we can kind of guide them along with less judgment and less kind of that knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. That that was so lovely to hear you speak to that because like I, I was just talking to somebody about this earlier today. Like I remember going through the alcohol experiment and because I'd never really take, other than pregnancy, I'd never taken a sustained break from alcohol. So getting to something like 10 days alcohol free, I felt like an absolute champ. Like I, could, I, I couldn't believe, you know, I'd had such a mindset shift around it. I could, I just couldn't believe it. And so because that was very much my focus, like this amazing thing that I was doing, and I was obviously aware of all of the wonderful health benefits because I was feeling them as much as anything else, that the fact that I was behaving like Alan Partridge with the Toblerone addiction wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't prioritize that as like that, that was a lower consideration for me. And I knew that I wasn't entirely happy with it, but I felt very much like I can come back for this later on. I can deal with this later on. And just as you said, where, at the point that I decided that I, right, enough is enough. This has to go. It was that opening of trying to understand what was going on with, because I had the, like this repeated pattern. It was the same time of day and it was the same calling. And I did a whole host of things, including just shifting up my routine of an evening and eating. So we tend to eat quite late over here. And effectively, I was just really tired, but I was reaching for sugar to make myself feel better. So when I figured out what it was, what, I, what my body really was asking for, I could then say, right, well, I can, yes, I'll eat late. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to disrupt my environment. I'm going to go somewhere else. I created this lovely sanctuary in my bedroom with loads of other things to focus on from a somatic point of view. So it might be aromatherapy oils or giving myself a nice facial, but it was really nourishing things that not only distracted me from wanting to, to reach for sugar, but it, it felt good. In fact, it felt better. And so it's then easier to let go of the Toblerone. But I am very grateful to the Toblerone because it got me, you know, it got me through the early days. And, you know, the, the, so to me, I think it's, it's a little bit about priorities. Yeah. And I think that one of the other things that we can share with, you know, people that are on this journey is we want to remind them that, you know, it's great to get enthusiastic and say, you know, I'm going to start a whole 30 and join CrossFit and give up alcohol and do all these things. And, you know, we want to help them like you did prioritize, you know, where, where are you really looking to make a change and what mm -hmm. is going to get you the most momentum? Because what happens is when we remove alcohol, we have more. So I think there's sort of a mental and a 
almost an emotional sort of spiritual piece that I like to talk about. So we know that we're going to have more brain function. We're going to have more time and energy, you know, and we're going to be able to like say, oh, okay, now is the time for me to look at my health. And I get a lot of people that reach out to me saying, okay, step two, right? Which is great because we don't want to have step one, two, three, and four all bundled into step one. It's really difficult. But the other thing I think that can really uh, speak to this is I, I like to think of it as like getting our intuition back online. So when we are drinking on a regular basis, I feel like we kind of break trust with ourselves, And so we stop trusting our intuition because our no doesn't mean no and our yes doesn't mean yes. And so we get to this place where we're not following through. And so when we make this change with alcohol, like you did, Ellie, like I'm on top of the world, I've gone 10 days, I can tackle anything, right? And that is a great place to then move into say, gosh, you know, now you trust yourself, you are going to understand what food you need, you're going to understand how to make these changes, almost intuitively, like, I'm going to nourish myself instead of deprive myself from chocolate, I'm actually going to move into a place where I'm moving towards something. Mm -hmm. uh, and that comes up back online. And so if we can get there, then on the other side of alcohol and trusting ourselves and listening to our intuition, we can do anything. Oh yeah. Like it's like stopping drinking is just the beginning. Um, and then there's like this door to the secret garden that opens and then there's just all this amazing stuff um, to do along the way. And it's that, that opening, as you talk about Terry, is like that's exactly how it feels. It's like an opening to so many options. Um, and it's not that we're losing anything. It's that we've got the opportunity to gain so much uh, and invite so many incredible things into our lives. Um, 100%. Yeah, I experienced that. And I still experience that every single day. Like just adding things in, I just light me up. Six years for me, and I still experience it every day. Same for me. Six years on the first yeah. of October. Not that I count, yeah. but it's you know it's <laughs> it is nice to it's nice to like nod at the milestones as they go by. But um, yeah, yeah, you know I'm continuing to add things. Even just recently, me and Ellie, I've been bouldering and doing all these amazing things and like twist. I just I, it's just amazing to like be playing a different game, to yeah. be like meeting life in in such a different way. It's just amazing yeah there's a there's a great book by tara moore that's called playing big and i think about that all the time like i spent a lot of my life playing small and the role of alcohol in it was substantial by the end and so yeah we talked before we started recording sam that you know we might have uh some fears and challenges as we you know build these businesses mm -hmm. and work to connect with more people and work to bring this message to the world but those are so small compared to you know, where I used to get trapped. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's what, you know, again, it's, it's just so wonderful to have you here talking to us because we, we wanted to set this podcast up to give the essence of that, that life is so much bigger. And it's when you're, when you're stuck, I was, um, was journaling yesterday about like being stuck in that, that place where I, I felt like I was limiting my potential, but I just, I couldn't figure out why, like what, what is this thing that's holding me back? Mm -hmm. And it, we always talk about, there is a, a little bit of a leap of faith required, but to just be able to edge into it with, we talk about, a lot about positive emotion, but just, it doesn't have to be, you know, this forced excitement about something. It can just start with curiosity yeah. and it's incredible where it takes you. It really is. Yeah, I was thinking as you were talking there, Ellie, about how that leap of faith, you know, people will jump into all of these 
kind of crazy diets, right? Because they think they have proof. And yet, you know, um, because we're not changing our body size or our body shape necessarily when we let go of alcohol, they, they think it's not real. It's really interesting um, because we see, you know, in the diet culture that there is, you know, we swing the pendulum one way or the other, one way or the other. And we are, you know, we, we see this as, you know, have to follow the trend. And it's really interesting to parallel that to, you know, what's happening in the alcohol-free movement. There are some definite trends going. And I hope that people will, you know, will go into them with an open mind, right? Um, sort of um, almost the antithesis of the diet culture. What's interesting in the health and wellness space, and you might've experienced this when you were doing your training too, Sam, was I thought when I went to nutrition school, everybody would be talking about, you know, that we shouldn't be drinking, that they're, you know, that that's eroding our health and wellness. And I found out nobody was talking about it. In fact, they all pretty much drank and it was fascinating to me. I thought, what am I missing here? <laughs> yeah. And we have all these, there's so many health influences out there that are, you know, on the beach with the photos of their margaritas or whatever it is they're doing. And, and the story and the filter is so thick that it just hasn't penetrated, even with people who are, you know, health experts who are it's that's what we're up against it's like you know it's, and, and there's a huge change happening there was a huge change happening but ultimately yeah it's it is everywhere um you know we live in a world where we don't even i said the other, last podcast early we don't even have labels on alcohol warning people that there is a danger like <laughs> it's just crazy that we and when you pop your head out and when you look around and you're like hang on a minute why can no one else see this yeah it's really wild um, I was randomly, I was in the sauna today at the gym, uh, and chatting to a couple of guys and I, and I sensed quite quickly, this isn't worth the conversation, but you know, there was a guy in there talking about how, you know, it's just, you know, well, if you can't moderate alcohol, like the same also, if you can't moderate alcohol, you know, you're just drinking for the sake of it and you should just like get a bit more strength behind you. And I, and I just, it, because I'm surrounded by so many people that are really, their minds are very open to a lot of this. I think, um, I forget just the normal narrative that most people hold on this and that, you know, we're in the world of TNM and it's, and it's amazing. And it's like, it's very quickly how our filter changes quickly. And we're around surrounded by these amazing people, but you know, it's a drop in the ocean compared to what's actually going on out there. Like there's so much to be done. Um, and I think that's why that whole thing about being curious, just like encouraging people to be curious because that's how it changes. Curiosity leads to real shifts. It's not that we just change everything overnight. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. It really is. Yeah, I get excited about the possibility of someday that everyone in the wellness space will be talking about the impact. For mm -hmm. example, I can envision if you go to your yoga class, they're talking about, oh, I didn't sleep well last night. Oh, did you, you know, everybody's saying, oh, I bet you had alcohol. You remember how that, that works. You know, you go to your chiropractor and they're saying, wow, you, I, I'm sensing some inflammation here. I'm seeing some extra inflammation. Have you noticed that, you know, alcohol increases that, mm -hmm. you know, how much are you actually drinking? And then you go to your nutritionist and they say, oh, I'm looking at your food journal and I'm noticing, you know, um, we're cutting back on this, but what's going on here that that's going to have an impact. Let's talk about that and just normalizing the conversation so that we can get back to the facts mm. as opposed to all the smoke screen mm. yeah because that, that that is what makes the difference you know it, it, i've talked about it so many times but in put so simply I, I mean i was drinking to relax at the end of the day so three kids three dogs business 
all, all the stuff going on. And I just wanted to relax at the end of the day. And it seemed like, well, that's what everybody does. That's how we relax. And I was so, so in it, can't see the wood for the trees, just by chance came upon this, this naked mind. And that was the first time I was ever truly aware of the science of how it works, how alcohol works with the brain and body. And when I read it, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really into knowing why and how, I'm, I need the information, the data. And, and I, was, I couldn't believe I've been so stupid. Like, how have I been duped all, all these years? It's a bloody scam. How does everybody not know about this? Because it's so, it, it is so black and white. It's so straightforward. But when you are thick in it, you know, how, how else How else are you going to know? It's not the kind of information we go looking for. We kind of know it's not really good for us, but don't really want to find out. How, yeah, just I how worked with it. I worked with a client who owned a wine. We were starting a wine business and uh, she said, people would say, well, what about wine? She'd go, oh, you know, it's bad for you, but what the heck, you know, and she was a nutritionist. And um, I thought that was really interesting is that we, you know, we justify our drug of choice, so to speak. Right. You know, I mean, I could probably make a good case for why Netflix is really great and wonderful and relaxing for me, but you know, intellectually, I know that's not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. And is there healthier ways to unwind? Yes. And so I think we just have to get, you know, question everything. Uh, you know, that's yeah. one of the things to think about. And, and when it comes to sugar as well, like what's really, you know, if somebody else is in charge of my food, if I'm buying all packaged food, if I'm buying, you know, um, processed foods, if I'm eating out a lot, someone else is in charge of what's going on in my body. And do I want to question if that's really working for me? People often think they're just aging. I find this a lot, you know, they're like, well, of course I have aches and pains, you know, I'm older. And it's like, that's not normal. You know, there's, uh, go ahead, Sam. No, 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 sorry, go on, carry on because I don't want to stop your flow, but. I was just going to say there's this illness wellness continuum. It's just this little simple chart and it has people kind of starting in the middle. This is like baseline. And then you're either moving toward disease or you're moving toward wellness. And what happens is people are usually somewhere on the more the disease side, or they may be slightly over, you know, they're, they're young and nothing's really impacting them yet. But if they continue with what most of us have as our current lifestyle, you know, they're gradually going to go toward the disease side. They're going to show up at their physician appointment one year, and they're going to suddenly come out with three prescriptions. And they're going to be like, what happened? And what happened is, you know, that we think that's just normal decline. We think we just accept that as part of the aging process. And no, we can actually impact so much of that by our lifestyle and our nutritional choices. And people can take ownership of that. It takes intention and it takes resolve and it takes focus and it takes you know, some discipline, but it absolutely is worth it because I wanna be moving over to the wellness side, you know, um, and I have noticed so much difference between, you know, the journey I've been on with giving up alcohol, changing my diet because of being in nutrition school and just starting to learn about it and then see those lifestyle pieces of focusing on sleep and, you know, meditation and movement, mm-hmm. all of those things. And that's something we can keep doing. We don't have to just accept decline. I think so. There's so much talk about lifespan, but people have really got to start understanding health span because I hear people say to me all the time, you know, I'm just going to go hard. I don't care. Like, why do I want to live from like 70 to 90? They're shit anyway. You like, you feel crap for the last 20 years of your life. But the point is no, because 
lifespan is like one thing, but health span is huge. Like how you feel, how, whether you're mo- moving towards illness or, or wellness. And, you know, I hear that a lot. Someone very close to me says very often, ah, oh, you know, well, this is what it's like in your late fifties. I'm like, dude, you're in your late fifties, man. There's people doing handstands in India when they're like 94. Like, what do you want about? Um, and, and it, but it's, it's a, again, it's a story and we have to change that story because if we just resign ourselves to the idea of, I had a go at my, my dad the other day has basically got a different car because he can't get in his old car. Right. And it's like, because he, he's not working on his mobility and his strength. And my brother's a physio strength trainer, keeps saying to him, dad, you need to be, you know, we should be doing squats. We should be doing all this stuff so that you are, you know, mobile and able to get in that car. Right. Because if you just keep buying a car to fit your older body, then you are going to age a lot quicker than if you, you know, do do the stuff that we can do to, to work with it. And these habits, if we set them in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, but it's never too late. Like once, mm-hmm. if we start to set them bit by bit by bit, it can impact. I've worked with so many people in their 60s and 70s now that have basically just got themselves 20, 30, maybe even 40 years of an incredible life that would have looked so different had they continued on the path that they were on. Um, and, it, you know, it's massive. We're talking, it's a, this is everything you know, it's everything at the end of the day, like, a, you know, as a sick millionaire will tell you, you know, this is. It's, it's... Yeah. And I, I turned 61 this month and I, you know, I want to live to be a hundred, yeah. you know, or plus that's my goal, but I don't want to just have a lifespan. Like you said, Sam, I love that. I want to have a health span. You know, I am working toward being the healthiest hundred year old, yeah. you know? And so, um, that's my goal is that I'm going to, I don't take any medications, you know, I, that's not my thing. Um, and if I ever went to, I rarely go to the doctor, but let's say I did and they tried to give me a prescription, I would be like, no, I think I'm going to figure out another way because there are, and it's so interesting. I mean, it's like with alcohol and even with, you know, sugar as well, you know, we're looking for that really quick fix. And sometimes what happens is, uh, you know, we go to the doctor, we get a prescription and we're like, okay, all my health problems are solved. And no, you know, as a functional nutritionist, we want to look at the root cause, like what caused the dysfunction in the first place. That's where we need to get granular and really dig in and find out what we can do at that level to change our health for the long term. Because, you know, taking those prescriptions, that's just going to be another piece that your body is going to have to overcome. And same thing, you know, a lot of times we'll do the same thing with supplements, you know, instead of going to real food, which is a long game, right? People will want to take a lot of supplements and particularly that's one of the questions I get a lot as a nutritionist in these large groups that I'm fortunate to work with, with this naked mind is they want to know what supplements to take. And I'm like, I'm like, well, here comes your least favorite answer. None. (laughs) (laughs) Whole food. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to start with letting our body do what it wants to do naturally. And then there may be a time for supplementation, but it's not the answer. It can be part of the answer, but it's not, you know, um, it really is not the best place to start. Mm. Well, one of the things that you talked about there that I just I love so much is is intention, right? So it's the you know I, I want to be the healthiest hundred year old plus on the block. Like it, to have that set as your intention is just wonderful and has such a, a lovely feeling tone around it. And that's what one of the episodes that is in the in the bag to record is all about intention setting because it's just it's such 
a fundamentally important thing. But again, I think it's just something that's it's overlooked so easily. But it can make really, you know, intentions everything makes the difference to you know your whole outlook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, it's always part of my coaching. If um, I tell people, you've probably heard me say this before, but you know, expectations versus intentions, because expectations often set us up for disappointment mm-hmm. and failure. And you know, we're trying to measure something that we don't need to measure on a scale or a black and white, you know, line. We really want to, when we have intention as our focus, it's open-ended. It's mm-hmm. like the difference between hanging on to something and opening your hands to receive something. And that is so powerful, as you mentioned, Ellie, so powerful to move towards something. Someone once said to me that, um, yeah, expectations are like a brewing, like dis- disappointments or discontentments. Like at some point, it's like we're going to we're going to slip. But the intention is different. The energy is different. It's an opening rather than a contracting um, and I think that's the, the true of the curiosity thing as well. It's like that whole, the compassion for yourself when you're, when you've done something that you didn't want to do helps you break the loop as where, you know, when you're berating yourself, you just end up in the feedback loop of like, I, I had a real, for a while, some real issues with, um, with binge eating. And like, that was definitely something I had to learn. The biggest thing I had to learn was that there's no such thing that we think about in terms of good food and bad food and sitting behind that is the idea that there is a moral, you know, issue of like, well, this food is this not good. And, and this is, this is great as where it's just like, no, there's health, there's, there's sort of like healthful foods, less healthful foods, more healthful foods. And it's choices the whole way through. Um, and once you realize that you're, there's always a choice, like me and Ellie, this our new thing, choose again. <laughs> so you can always choose again. And you get your power back if you're not stuck in that kind of cycle of shame and, and guilt. And um, yeah, it's massive. That's a huge part of this. Yeah, I often tell people that if we could shame and blame our way to change, none of us would have had to make a difference with alcohol. We wouldn't have had to, you know, dig in and do that other work because we would have just blamed and shamed ourselves right out of it, but it doesn't work that way. (laughs) In fact, it often causes the opposite where we then isolate more and dive more into that pattern that we've been using that is not as healthy for us because we're looking to avoid and escape and deflect. And so, yeah, just having that grace that this is a place where we're going to you know, make some changes and make some mistakes and it's going to be messy in the beginning and it's going to be a journey and it's not going to be smooth and it's going to be okay. And I love the choose again. I love that. Yeah. That's our, our new, one of our new mottos. We've got some, we've got <laughs> some, some merch shirts. coming. Awesome. <laughs> um, I love it. Terry, I would love to ask you, right? So mm-hmm. if, if, if people are listening and they are in this place, right, they have accidentally like, you know, and, we, and a lot of us have been there, you've slipped, you've got to a point where you're relying on sugar, um, you're leaning on it, you, you know that, um, but you feel like you're in a bit of a maze. Like, what are some things that people can start to do to like put one foot in front of the other compassionately, curiosity, um, to really start making a difference and moving forward? Yeah. So I think one of the things that can be super powerful and is free and easy is a food journal. Mm. 
really find out, get the information so that you know what you're dealing with. And like Ellie said, she could pinpoint the time that she wanted to eat the Toblerone, you know, and so noticing those patterns, sometimes we think, um, well, I had a really healthy lunch, but if we wrote it down and we examined it later, the reason you found yourself at the vending machine buying a, you know, Mars bars is because you didn't have enough fat or protein with your lunch mm -hmm. and you were hungry. You literally we're hungry, your blood sugar dropped. And so that's a really simple and powerful thing to do. And then if you find yourself just like keep eating the sweets, it's kind of like with alcohol. If you can take out, you know, the, the food that's really high in the processing and chemicals and extra food, like if you have powdered fake donuts at your house, right? Go buy a dark chocolate bar and, and have that instead. And you're going to get less of the chemicals and less of that hit, get some fruit and start playing around with, um, you know, I can have some sugar instead of trying to go, you know, cold Turkey, so to speak, start reducing that processed sugar that you're eating so that you're not getting that huge hit with your palate, you know, the 1200 times sweeter, you're not setting up that same dynamic. Um, and then as you can cut back on sugar, if you can get to a place, you're going to find less cravings for it because your blood sugar is going to start to balance and you're not going to have so many of those highs and lows, you know, crashing out. And then that high peak of too much sugar in the system and you want to start to balance out and you're going to do that naturally by adding more protein and fat so when you want to reduce sugar cravings um so one of my favorite visuals is if you think of a campfire and you mentioned this earlier um ellie about just eating carbs all the time and i was thinking about this um if you think of a campfire and you've got kindling that you're using these thin pieces of wood to start the campfire that's like your carbs and if you get the fire started, what will you do? You will add a log to keep the fire burning. And the log is your protein or your fat. And when you've got the log in there, you can walk away and go on a hike and the fire still burns. But if you never add the log, if you just use kindling, you're gonna to have to stay there all day long and keep feeding kindling into the fire in order for your body to have enough energy to just get through the day. You, could, you don't get to leave and go on the hike. That's an amazing exactly. analogy. Yeah. I, I think so many people still labor under the idea that fat makes you fat. And I think, mm -hmm. I think despite the fact that this has been torn to pieces and shown not to be the case and that, you know, it's a very, it's a very, it's very, very needed and very satiating um, and very good for us. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's still, you know, low fat is the way to go because if I eat too much fat, I know I'm going to put on weight. One of the greatest things I did was actually, you know, yeah, focusing on protein and fat, lowering my carbs, um, and it, it completely flipped my nutrition. I was so I was plant based for six years, um, uh, and I was really heavily carb based. I thought I was doing everything right for me, and it's not that you can't eat plant based and do it well, but I think for me, I was just consuming constant grains. Um, it just wasn't good for me. I was constantly on carbohydrates. I was always hungry always hungry and since i changed um i'm not plant-based anymore you know but since i for many different reasons but focused on protein and fat and reduced i i just don't snack to two meals a day and i feel fantastic i'm in the gym a lot like i'm stronger than i've ever been so i think a lot of that stuff is like people are really scared that they've been trying so long with a certain food paradigm and they're really scared to step out of it because they don't know who to listen to because there's so many mixed messages out there 
Um, so yeah, it's challenging. I imagine in your line of work, it's very difficult to like break through some of that stuff and really talk to people. Yeah. Um, well, you know, part of what you're talking about there is just that bio-individuality of mm -hmm. each person. And so that's why I like kind of just starting with the template and saying, okay, I'm going to eat some carbs in the form of fruits and vegetables. I'm going to eat some protein. I'm going to eat some fat and I'm going to figure out where, how I feel. <laughs> um, and so that's part of what, you know, when I try to educate people about that, it's like, let's listen, we've got to learn to listen to our body and we've got to get back to, you know, some basics and then tweak things based on what works for you. And again, you know, that if we go back to the campfire, um, you know, the kindling is great in the beginning because we're going to get that quick fire, but we can't sustain it. And so mm -hmm. that's where we really want to look at if I'm hungry in an hour after I eat lunch, I need to look and see what happened there. What did I, what did I need to add to that meal? And where can I change things up a little bit and get some more logs on the fire so that I can go a little longer. And in the very beginning, when we're first balancing out our blood sugar, it may look like we're eating more often and that's okay. While we get back to these, you know, and the other thing I, you know, I'm laughing as I consider myself like the anti-nutritionist nutritionist. Cause I'm like, okay, don't do that. Don't take supplements. Don't do these things. Um, but the other thing is I don't have people count calories. I don't have people weigh and measure their food. I don't know how much food you need, Sam. How would I know what, you know, you're going to go work out today. What, what the heck eat until you're satiated and then go from there and see satiation looks very different than you know, how we normally eat. We normally eat just, you know, what's in front of us, or we eat, you know, things that don't fill us up. And so satiety is something we really have to get back into understanding what that feels like. And I work with people that eat, you know, um, almost nothing. And then they go to eating a lot of food because, you know, they think that this calorie restriction is going to be the answer. And, you know, if you think about another analogy for you, if you think about it, people often think that calories in calories out, like our body is a balance scale, right? And I got to get somewhere here in the middle. No, no, no. Our body is a complex chemistry lab with hormones and, you know, all of these things playing into it. And so it's not just calories in and calories out. And so people often find themselves eating way more food and eating more fat than they might've been used to and feeling amazing. And that's the thing we just have to, again, that intention of being open to learning what's best for my body. What does true wellness look like for Ellie? What does true wellness look like sure. for Sam? It's going to look different. It's scary. It's hard for my, my brother works with people in this area as well. And many people are under eating to the point where they're having like, like cortisol response in their body. And actually they need to eat more to actually lose weight and they need to like teach their metabolism again. And, but it's scary because they're like, but hang on a minute, I've been like dieting and eating 15, you know, 1200 calories for, for five years. And you're now telling me I need to like double that. And like, it will be, uh, yeah. So like, it's, yeah, it's experimenting and intuitive eating is a, it doesn't just happen overnight. It's about giving ourselves the grace to figure that out and really tune in. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So I think that was a long answer to your question, but you know, food journals can be really helpful. Cool. Maybe eating some small meals in the beginning, uh, looking at more protein fat. So you're, you're just not needing to snack all day long. Mm. I love that you mentioned a food journal, Terry, because it's, I think it's one of those things that people are really reluctant to do because it's another thing to do. And well, I know what I eat. 
And the first time that I did one, I was really shocked and embarrassed because I considered that I, well, I eat very well, I eat lots of whole foods. It's not until you put conscious awareness to it, pen to paper, and really you're truly honest with yourself about what you're eating. And, and, and then you, you can't, it's a bit like, you know, me with my learning about the science of, of alcohol and how it works with the brain, but you can't, you can't argue with it once you see it in black and white. And then we come into Sam's, you know, choose again, then you can choose again. You can choose to do something differently. You're armed, you're informed with some data. And so I would, I would really, if, if you've never done a food journal before, even if you just do it for a few days, it will be really eye-opening for you. And then you've got, you've, you've got something to work with as opposed to whatever story you're telling yourself like I was. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I work with people all the time that are like, well, I eat really healthy. And then, you know, we do a food journal and it's like, well, let's talk about, you know, the, what does healthy mean? I mean, it doesn't really have a definition. <laughs> it is that story. And the other thing I would say too, Ellie, is, um, um, the, what I tell people when they think in terms of a food journal, I want to food, mood, poop. So what did you eat? How did you feel? What did you eliminate? That's how we see how things are really working. Because if we're just capture, capturing what we ate, but we don't record how we felt, it's going to be hard to know, like, why well, is really irritable or well, I had a lot of brain fog or, um, I got really tired after breakfast. I don't know what happened or I was starving an hour later. That's so important to pay attention to because that's all wonderful information to what's going to flip the switch for you. Mm, mm, I love that. And that, and that's, that very much echoes whenever we talk about tactics, particularly the, the, the somatic work, it's all about not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but how does it make you feel? Because if it moves the dial, then that's the thing you want to be doing more of. So it's absolutely, it's, it's tuning in, getting really, really clear about how things make you feel. I love that food, mood, mood, and poop. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Got it for the next time I do it. <laughs> yeah. They're great tips. I used to, um, I think for a long time, every night I would, after dinner, I'd always want something sweet. So I used to like go to the chocolate bar and whatever, but I started bringing in, um, I, the Nutribullet basically turned my life upside down having like a good sort of like power blender kind of thing and I would just almond milk a few dates bananas and cocoa powder and some blueberries and it's just like an amazing chocolate milkshake um and it's helpful and I would it really stopped me reaching for Twixes or whatever it was that I was like originally craving um and you know over time then you get to a point where you're like actually do you know what? I don't think I want to have this smoothie every day and, it, and it's kind of like leverage for you to kind of like one foot in front of the other. Um, we don't have to like throw the baby out with the bathwater. We, we can actually like, you know, really piece by piece, like change our life. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's like moving 2% or 3% in the right direction over weeks, right? Adds up to a huge change in a year versus going, right, I'm going to go and do the keto diet or I'm going to go and do this diet or that diet or, and I'm just going to change everything all at once. Um, and then we end up in this kind of like yo-yo mode of like with this and with that and with this and with that, rather than kind of like changing the tapestry of our life and learning about us and our relationship with the things around us. Mm. Um, 
which to me, I mean, I think I've had to really learn that the hard way. Like I was very much all in or all out on things. And I'm even now starting to learn how to, to, to eat intuitively, how to do these things. Um, it's, it hasn't come easily to me. I'll be honest. Um, I've always been very black and white, um, but it's probably a huge piece of my journey that's going to extend for the next however many decades as well, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. It, it's true. We have to, um, we have to get there bit by bit. We can't just make these radical changes that often leads to overwhelm and then mm. we give up mm. and then we get caught in that cycle. I can never do it. And it's just, it's such a different mentality. And one of the things that you know, can be the most challenging in addition to food journals. And you're right, Ellie, nobody wants to do them. <laughs> They're like, this is too much work. But um, is we just, we have to get back to cooking. You know, we have, and it doesn't have to be complicated cooking. I have a friend that does like a version of batch cooking where she basically just cooks twice a week for her family of four, prepares simple dishes, and then everything is ready to go and they just grab what they're going to eat. And Sam might eat something different than Ellie might eat something different than Terry. We're all having dinner together, but we've prepared, you know, we've roasted vegetables and we've made half of the roasted vegetables and blended them into a soup. It doesn't have to be complicated, but we do need to take back control of, you know, what we're doing as far as cooking. And so it does require, you know, we have to do some, some planning, some shopping, some cooking, paying attention. And it can be an amazing, you know, it can be so much fun. People say, well, I don't cook. And it's like, well, <laughs> um, that's a mindset. You can cook, you know, and you can learn to cook and you can experiment with what's fun for you. Maybe you love to make great scrambles for breakfast, but you're not big on dinner. You can figure that out, but it is going to take some you know, some open-mindedness around and some mindset shifts around how you eat, you know, people just constantly grabbing fast food or, you know, always a prepared meal or takeout is just not working in the long-term for overall health. And so occasionally, yeah, that's great, but we really want to think about how we're going to set this up to work for the long-term. And that, that involves cooking and getting back to basics. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know that for us as a family, like it's, it can be so easy, so easy to reach for the thing that's quicker because you're worn out and you're stressed out and you're tired. But then the amount of work that goes into unraveling the impact of it all and going back to the beginning again. So, you know, again, comes back to intention. And, and, and again, like, it's a bit like the alcohol story. Like I want to, I want to have a different, um, I want to role model something differently to my children uh I remember being at school and we we used to have the whole the old home economics class the only thing I learned in home economics was how to make a pineapple upside down pudding and I didn't do that very well I mean it's it, we we need to teach children how to cook properly and get out of this because I remember as a kid there, there was not you know what 41 but there, there wasn't the swathe of manufactured food products that there are now is very 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 different and so you can see how people get to that point where you just rely solely on them and you would be hard pressed to find any kind of whole food in in their diet at all yeah 
Yeah, that's so true. And um, one of the things that, you know, I think could be so fun with families is just let your kids get curious about food. You know, oh, let's buy a new piece of food today. What can we pick out of the grocery store this week that we've never tried before? Let's look up how to cook it. Let you cook it, you chop it. And one of the things, uh, the School of Nutrition that I went to, we really focused on digestion. You know, everything comes back to digestion. We don't not digesting our food. We're not absorbing the nutrients. We're not that's not nutrition if we're not digesting. And so when we think about terms and just cooking, one of the things that happens is the first thing that has to come online for digestion is our brain. We have to, our brain has to start producing the enzymes for digestion by recognizing that, oh, we're going to be eating soon. And that comes through our senses and that's cooking. When you are cooking in the kitchen and you're smelling the onion sizzling and you're chopping up the bell pepper and you're tasting a little piece and you're laying out the plate with this beautiful food, you're tossing the salad. That's the first place of digestion. So cooking has an essential role in just priming your body for digestion. And this happens all along the way with cooking. And that's how digestion works. You know, eating in that parasympathetic state to, you know, get our body into a rest and digest, you know, when we cook and we sit down at a meal together and we slow down, it's why culturally you can see people say grace or they, you know, they say, they do deep breathing or they have a prayer, something break when they sit down to eat because they're setting their intention to be present with the idea of eating food with that yeah. actual act of eating where when you see people going through the drive-through and then stuffing the hamburger in their mouth on the way driving out, you know, they have no, none of the precursors for digestion have come online yet because we've suddenly just shoved food in our mouth. We've had no idea that it's coming. We have done none of the pre-work for digestion. And that's part of, you know, why I think cooking is so powerful. We can use it as a way to not only cook better food, but to help our body set it up for digestion and then ultimately nutrition. When I, um, when I trained with my yoga teacher training, it was the first place I had ever eaten in silence chewed my food like at least 30 to 40 times before I swallowed it and eaten with my hands and my digestion just changed immediately as somebody who really struggled for a long long time just that was so crazy to me that like and then I read up on the science between like how our beliefs can affect how many calories we burn you know if you tell someone that one drink contains one thing and you tell someone else that it contains something others with the same calorific content their body will adapt to it differently depending on their beliefs of what it is they're consuming it's wild so you know it's like that intuitive thing of like if you're going to have a treat if you actually enjoy it as a treat it will have much less of a negative impact on your body than if you eat it and feel guilty the whole way through because the guilt is activating cortisol. And so, you know, it's like learning to enjoy food again and not rush food. You know, so many of us are just like eating a sandwich on the hop and, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy that food isn't given a special place and, and like a sacred place in so many of our homes. And it wasn't in mine for so long. And I've sort of been on this journey recently to kind of realize that um, there's a guy, there's a, have you, you probably have listened into it, Terry. Do you know the Genius Life podcast? I can't remember the guy's name who runs it. It's an amazing I podcast. I think I've heard of it, but I haven't tuned in. 
but you know he basically says you know nothing feels as good uh, nothing tastes as good as healthy feels which i think is an edit of a something from the you know nothing tastes as good as skinny feels he doesn't like that but it's like you know and to me now that's i've realized that if i go down the pub after eating whole food like not having seed oils and like you know look after looking after myself and then i go and eat the deep fried food from the pub i suffer like it might be in the moment like great and i get all that dopamine release but not long after i'm knackered i genuinely just want to sleep I'm like, I can't hack this. This is too much. And there was a time where a lot of my diet revolved around that food. And I didn't even notice that that was happening to me. Like I didn't notice the kind of like subparness of like my sort of like day to day. Um, and so, yeah, just, just that awareness that you're talking about, just actually sitting down, like putting some nice music on, turning the telly off, making it a bit more sacred, you know, cooking, putting some, enjoying all that. And if you're looking for something to bring into your life, if you've taken alcohol away, like, wow, cooking is an incredible thing, like that can become mm -hmm. really, really special. Um, that you can spend hours on, you know, you can listen to a podcast, you can listen to music, whatever it is. And it's, it's such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Sam. And I was thinking too, um, as you were talking there, like Ellie, you can have, you know, have your kids to have a picnic once a week, sit on the ground yeah. and eat with your hands and they will have a completely different digestive experience than they usually do. It's so incredible. And we can do that more often. And it's simple. It just mm. takes that intention we've been talking about. Mm. Oh, Terry, this has been amazing. Awesome. And we yeah. knew it was going to go way longer than we thought it well, 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 would. <laughs> you guys are so planned. fun. <laughs> oh, it's a belter. It really is. Thank you so much for all your time, Terry. That, 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 this is just jam-packed with, with helpful stuff for everybody. Like, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey with alcohol or food. There's so much in this. It's been, oh, it's just been phenomenal. Thank you so, so much. Can you... Just give us a little bit about where people can find you. And I know you've got some really exciting stuff coming up. Yeah. So I am the sober nutritionist and you can find me, uh, Terry at the sober nutritionist on Instagram. Uh, the sober nutritionist is my Facebook page and my email and my website. And then I am going to be starting a podcast. You two mm. have inspired me. <laughs> yeah. So it's coming. Um, I'm hoping to, um, have it up and running by, um, late October. It's called the sober edge. And it's really about inspiration for living alcohol free. Cool. It's going to be, you know, um, a lot of tools and tactics, but also interviews with people who have really made that shift and are living this incredible life on the other side of alcohol. I really want to help people understand that, again, that open door, like we talked about, is available to all of us. And um, I'm really excited about it. So yeah. And I do want to, I do have a, um, a little guide, five healthy reasons to take a break. So I'll make sure to get that over to you so that if people want to know a little bit more, they can absolutely um, do a little bit of reading on that and connect with me uh, through my website. Amazing. Wonderful. I'm excited to have a read myself. Um, yeah, thank you so I'm much. very excited for the podcast to come as well. Me too. Me too. It's going to be awesome. Thank you so much, Terry. You're a superstar. Well, thank you both. It was really my pleasure and so much fun to talk about something I'm so passionate about. And I believe that we can all um, make these small improvements that are going to get us closer to that ultimate and true wellness. And uh, everyone is on their own journey and we can dig in right where we're at and start right from where we are. 
It's a good job because we've got a long list of things that we want to ask you about. So I'm sure <laughs> that you'll get lots more chance. Okay, amazing. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, you both. Lots of love. What an awesome conversation. You know, there's so much misinformation out there. Um, the story that we have around sugar and health is just so wonky. And it's and me and Ali feel it's so important to get people like Terry on to come and have a real deep um, but understandable conversation about this. So Terry, if you're ch- listening to this, thank you so much for coming and sharing your time with us. For anyone who's interested, all of Terry's links will be um, below the show notes. So you can dive in there and go and check out her website and her freebie um, and, and go and go and check out Terry, she's an absolute star. And look, it's fall. You know, the trees are changing colour. Everything is shifting. We're going into holiday season. We're getting into this point of year that can be quite daunting for some of us. We see these events and social events on the horizon and and it can sometimes cause a little bit of um, a sort of anxiety. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know, reach out. You know, Terry, myself, Ellie, we're always open to have breakthrough calls. You know, ha- go and have a chat with someone that you really vibe with, that you think that you'd love to have a discussion with. And all of us we always make sure you're going to leave those breakthrough calls um, with something really positive to move forwards with even if you decide that you know working with us isn't the thing for you so this time of year is an amazing opportunity to show yourself just what's possible it doesn't have to be this uh, thing that you're dreading (laughs) or that you're really freaking out about what it might mean so if you're in that place reach out to someone that you really really connect with and open that dialogue and you might just be really surprised where you can be you know come january or february all right have an awesome day see you next week